people aren't looking for perfect. They're just looking for people who can share their stories and how those stories can serve others. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle. It's your host, Eileen, and welcome back for season five of The Lavender Lifestyle podcast. I know I cannot believe that it's already season five. Somehow we made it here. But before we get started today, I want to remind you that we just launched the new 2020 Artist of Life workbook at the shop. So if you're interested in checking it out, go snag one at shop.lavender.com. It's out in two colors this year, lavender and gray. And I just think 2020 is a pretty sounding year. It's 2020 vision, crystal clear vision for your dream life, and I'm all about it. So in today's episode, we're talking entrepreneurship, confidence, and optimism through tough times. Our guest today is Jess Ekstrom. Jess Ekstrom is the founder and CEO of Headbands of Hope, a company that donates headbands to kids with cancer with every headband sold. She's also passionate about helping more women become professional speakers through her online course, Mic Drop Workshop. Her new book, Chasing the Bright Side, its shelves November 5th. Hi Jess, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Same. So I saw what you've been doing. I mean, what the work you've been doing for Headbands of Hope is so cool. And you started it in college, which is amazing. I want to ask back then, what motivated you to kind of see it through rather than give up thinking you were too young or letting something get in the way? So I was a junior at the time and I was interning for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and they grant wishes to kids with life-threatening illnesses. And I was seeing them, you know, they would be offered wigs or they'd be offered hats when they would lose their hair to chemotherapy, but so many of them love to wear headbands. And I just thought it was the coolest gesture of confidence that they wanted to embrace what they were going through, but just be able to express themselves through fashion. I started to look up if anyone was giving headbands to kids with cancer to see if I could arrange some donations and realize that that was a connection that hadn't really been made yet. And so I decided, I actually like, now that I think about it, I decided to start Headbands of Hope, but I didn't really think about all the things that could go wrong. I think being young was actually a huge benefit that I didn't like have Mm -hmm. analysis by paralysis, you know, or paralysis by analysis, maybe it's the other way. And so I just started Headbands of Hope for every headband sold. We donate one to a child with cancer. And there was definitely some speed bumps in the beginning, which happy to get into. But I think because I believed so much in what the mission of this company was, I felt like there wasn't going to be anything big enough to get in my way. I think that's amazing. I think because you had a good reason why it was really fulfilling or motivating for you to like do this for the kids. Because I'm just thinking like if you're that young, a lot of people, they get stuck and then they give up or mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? A lot of people overthink things and that is analysis paralysis. Yeah. Well, do you want me to tell you how I really yeah. got started? What happened? <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> I want to hear about the bumps. The, let me tell you the 
bump might like be a small term for this. So okay, I had the idea and I was, you know, really doing, working with what I had. I was a communication student. I really couldn't even spell entrepreneur. I was like not <laughs> knowing what I was doing at all, but I would, you know, meet with like a business professor for 15 minutes and ask them questions like, what are taxes? What am I doing? And they would answer some of my questions. I had, you know, I paid someone to do my website and paid them in Chipotle burritos at lunch. Like I was just <laughs> scrappy as it gets, just trying to get everything together. But it was it like little by little, everything was coming together. And the last thing I had to do was I had to find a manufacturer for the headbands. So I found this website that connects you with like U.S. manufacturers. So many people didn't get back to me, but one person did and they were in Kansas. And we got on a call. They loved the idea. They shipped me samples. I gave them feedback. So we were talking to this factory for like two months. Finally, I was like, okay, you know, let's do it. Let's make, let's start a round of production. So they sent me over the invoice and it was for $10,000. And I was like, I probably should have asked this <laughs> before. In the beginning, right. But yeah, but to be honest with you, like, it wasn't that I didn't know that I was going to have to pay for it. It was more like I was in this place where I felt like I was the lesser one in any relationship I was going into. And so I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't in a position to be asking questions or speaking up because I thought everyone was kind of, I should just be grateful that someone was working for me. And so my mindset was just kind of all out of whack. I felt like I didn't really deserve a seat at the table. And so I didn't want to mess anything up. But finally, you know, I started to do some research as to how because this was about $9,500 more than what I had in my <laughs> bank account at the time being a college student, eating ramen noodles. And so I was talking to my dad because he's an entrepreneur and trying to get his advice. I was like, should I get a loan from the bank, you know, and pay interest on this? Should I try to get an investor and give away some equity? And he was like, look, I have seen your business plan. I've seen your website. I really think this is going to be something big. And one of the mistakes I made starting my business was giving away too much equity too early. And I don't want you to have to do the same thing. So I will be your first investor. I will give you the loan and you can pay me back when the business starts to make money which was absolutely like the biggest gesture of confidence and support and I recognized like the immense emotional and financial privilege that that came from mm -hmm. it was incredible so I ran to the bank it was a Friday afternoon I wired them the ten thousand dollars from my dad and I never heard from them again <gasps> Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought there was going to be a happy ending. <laughs> nope. It wow. was not. That's, it was. That's harsh. Awful. Like, yeah. it was one of those moments where I just thought, maybe this is a sign. You know, maybe this is like the universe telling me that I'm not qualified. And maybe I should just mm -hmm. start applying for jobs like all my other friends and pay my dad back over time. But then I thought about this isn't about the failure like of an idea. Like I can under like I can handle the embarrassment of a failure. What I couldn't handle was that this business was sparked from a problem that I saw, like a need that wasn't being met. 
So the failure of this idea meant that that problem wasn't going to be solved. And so I think that, you know, to your point, what you were saying of like the why, Mm -hmm. I knew that this business was more than just a transaction. You know, it was a movement of confidence of I decided that this was going Mm -hmm. to be like this resilience that I had, you know, could really set the tone for everything else I could do. If I could get through this, I could get through just about anything. And so I got a $300 grant from my school that was giving away grants to students who were starting businesses. Mind you, I lost 10000 but 300 right. was a starting point. And I bought two headbands from this supplier in North Dakota that, you know, was really nice and let me buy really low minimums and threw them up on my <laughs> website April 25th, 2012. And today we have over 200 products on the website and we've donated over half a million headbands to kids with cancer and I never took outside yeah. money again but uh, that was oh the gosh. beginning <laughs> <laughs> wow that is a good story I mean and and the fact that you just decided I'm still going to do this I think that's amazing yeah so thanks for sharing that <laughs> yeah I think that sometimes the stories that we hear from people are like the highlight reels and we see these mm-hmm. like snippets of like just these moments of time that we think are representative of like their entire journey. And so I really, I needed someone to be transparent with me at that time. I wasn't seeing anyone like myself. I wasn't seeing anyone mess up. So I thought it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. But now I know that, you know, our failures aren't reflections of our worth. They're just reflections of growth. You know, it's just all part of the process. Love it. Yeah. After starting Headbands of Hope, I know that now you're a professional speaker. So I'm just curious why speaking? What led you to speaking? So speaking kind of happened as a way for me to, I thought it'd be fun if I could share my story on a few stages and, you know, like speak to college students because I was in college. And what turned into like something being once or twice a year uh, then turned into 30, 40, 50 times a year. And it w- became this whole other way for me to inspire others to go after what they believe in and which eventually turned into this mm-hmm. message of optimism. Yeah. And I mean, I've read that you are usually like the token woman among an all-male speaking lineup. I'm just curious, what's your take on that? So, yeah, I, I as I started going down the speaking circuit, I was like noticing a lot of times I would just be the only woman on a panel or even sometimes I would be told, I would ask them, oh, why did you book me to speak? And they would say, oh, well, we needed a woman. And <laughs> I, and you know, to their credit, they were just being honest, but I realized that, you know, people aren't looking for like lectures and they're not looking for experts to be on stage. They're looking for authentic storytellers and people who can use their stories as inspiration. And so many women have such amazing stories, but they don't feel that maybe they are qualified enough to be a speaker in a lineup or get paid to do it. Right. So I started a course, uh, an online community called Mic Drop Workshop, and it gives women the tools they need to create their keynote talks and get paid to tell it. And it's been so cool to see how many people have gotten on stage and can kind of make a living and make a difference at once. Yeah. And I think that the more female like stories that we have out there, the more opportunities are going to arise to tell them. 
Yeah. So you're saying it's it's more that women are less confident to put themselves out there to even speak in the first place. Well, I think sometimes, I mean, there's research that shows, like, for example, getting asking for a promotion. Women will ask for that promotion if they meet 100% of the requirements, whereas I'm not sure the exact stat, but men will ask for the promotion if, you know, they reach less of those requirements, they'll just go for it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that women have so many unique stories to tell and such beautiful insight on the world. But sometimes we just don't put our name in the hat Mm because we feel that, you know, it should be someone who has arrived at a certain, you know, level of success where I started speaking about Headbands of Hope before we even returned to profit, you know. So people aren't looking for perfect. Mm -hmm. They're just looking for people who can share their stories and how those stories can serve others. Yeah. And I think this applies to so many other areas, not just speaking, but I think it is a thing where women won't put themselves out there. They won't take the chance because they don't fit all the requirements. Or I think it comes down to your value of yourself. Like you don't think you're good enough. Whereas men, even if they don't, they're not qualified, they will still put themselves out there and be confident about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of stepping forward. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think with Mic Drop Workshop, what I didn't realize was going to come from it was the power of community. There's, you know, hundreds of women in this group now that are all sharing their experiences on stage. They're sharing their stories. They're helping each other out. They're referring each other. Oh, I just spoke here. You should book this speaker now. And just getting like-minded people who want to make a difference putting them in the same place is just Mm -hmm. so powerful. Yeah. Since you've been speaking for a while, do you have any just, I guess, simple tips for people out there to just gain more confidence on stage? Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed was I was going on stage thinking that people wanted me to fail, you know, Mm -hmm. like that the audience was just going to wait for me to mess up. And I finally realized that the audience is on your side, you know, and they want you to win. And so it really changes your mindset when you feel like you're walking out to talk to a group of friends rather than people who are, you know, anticipating like a misstep and they want that authenticity. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not asking you to be perfect. Another thing that helped me too was before I go on stage, you know, you get those butterflies and I still get those butterflies, no matter if it's 30 people I'm going to talk to or 30,000 people. And I used to think that those butterflies were nerves and nerves mean, oh, I'm unprepared. But really, you know, your body has the same physiological response between nerves and excitement. And so you can just misdiagnose those nerves. And so instead, now when I start to feel those butterflies, instead of telling myself, oh, I'm so nervous, I just say, oh, I'm so excited for this. So really, you know, taking like those butterflies and diagnosing them as excitement instead of nerves just makes you walk on that stage that much more confident. Mm-hmm. Like you can let that energy fuel your your speaking and your performance, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And just I think that the biggest thing for me was like just letting go of being perfect. And if I messed mm-hmm. up, like making a joke about it, yeah. when you think about the people that you follow or the people that inspire you, do you follow them because they're perfect? No. Probably not. You follow them because they're real. Everyone's a real person. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So just, it sounds so cheesy, but going up there and being yourself, like 
the stories that get sometimes shared the most when I speak are not the stories of like, oh, when I was on the Today Show or this or that. It's like a story when I like couldn't touch my toes in yoga class and, Mm -hmm. you know, the teacher made fun of me or like a time when I like sold my American Girl dolls on eBay when I was 12 and (laughs) these stories that are so relatable to so many people. So everyone has those kinds of stories that they can share. So recognizing that those stories are enough. Right. And it's, you're being vulnerable and people connect with that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your book, Chasing the Bright Side. You already mentioned the book is about optimism, but can you go deeper into what it really is about and why did you write it? So Chasing the Bright Side, it kind of came to me from this, you know, this feeling I talked about before, where feeling like I was the only one messing up. And I didn't start with any of these special skills. I didn't go to business school. I didn't do all these things. But the one thing that I had that got me to where I was today was optimism. You know, it wasn't all these like connections or these like secret business tips. It was this Mm -hmm. rooted belief in better. And so chasing the bright side is how we can train ourselves to not just believe in better, but be courageous enough that we are the ones to make it happen, taking responsibility for what's going on around us, Mm. Uh, whether that's better schools, better systems, you know, better communities, better relationships. What are the things that we can do that we can accept that responsibility and do our part? and better. And so really, I, I started thinking about this idea of optimism and realized that, you know, every great movement, every great invention, startup, change started with optimism. It was one person that saw a problem and believed that there could be better. So if we can all kind of be a part of that movement, especially now in today's mm. kind of sometimes doom and gloom climate that we have on social media and the news and not get warped into that, but understand that we play a role yeah. and, uh, and we can do our part. So that's really what Chasing the Bright Side is about. And it gets into my story with Headbands of Hope, but also some other life events that things that I just didn't ever share because I wasn't coming to terms with it was a part of my story. It was like things that were I would almost classify skeletons in the closet and almost compartmentalize them. Mm-hmm. And now, then, when I started writing the book, I realized that, like, it's all just a part of our story. The good, the bad brings us to where we are today. So I yeah. really share it all, which makes me really nervous. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's so exciting. But that's the vulnerability that people love. And, and it's it's just, you know, everybody has those skeletons or those past wounds or whatever it is. And yeah, I was going to talk about that because sometimes people see optimistic people and they're like, oh, you're optimistic because nothing bad happened to you. Or like, mm-hmm. do, you, do you know what I mean? There is. Right. I'm just trying to look from the point of view of a cynic where they come from. So how yeah. would you go about, I guess, changing the mind of a cynic? Yeah. One of the things that I talk about in early in the book in the introduction is this is not a positivity pledge. Mm-hmm. This is not a book telling you to just be happy, drink more water and, you know, meditate at red lights. Yeah. It's like not one of those, you know, things that I'm asking you to just, oh, just like see the good in everything. Because optimism is in fact needed the most when we're in the bad, you know, when we mm-hmm. are sitting in the dark and something isn't going right. Because when things are good, like, why, why do you need optimism? Why would you move? Exactly. But when things are yeah. bad, that's when you change. 
And so, mm-hmm. you know, think about like the, the Me Too movement, which was this fantastic movement of women sharing their voices. It was triggered by history of, of bad moments, but mm-hmm. it was optimism that brought out the good in those people and brought that strength. So if yeah. anything, we need optimism in the bad moments. And that's why I get into those in this book is, you know, my family was involved in this international scandal when I was in high school. And oh. it was something that was just absolutely like one of those things that you thought would ne- could never happen to you. You know, you read it on the news, you like wow. kind of see things and yeah. you're just like, oh, that'll never be me. But anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And optimism is when we choose to live our life in possibilities and not live our life in fear. And so that's really when we need it the most. I actually love that because you, you need it when you're going through those tough times. And optimism is taking responsibility, realizing that you can choose to make things better. You can still move up from here. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they're going through a bad time or they think they lived a bad life, they let themselves get stuck there and they just wallow or whatever. So yeah, that sounds, it sounds like optimism is very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, you know, in the book, I talk about hard times, give us a choice. It's the excuse to do less or the reason to do more. Mm-hmm. And optimism mm-hmm. is, is choosing to do more. And so it's like, how can we train ourselves to have that gut reaction instead of running away. And that's what I hope readers get from this book. Love it. I also want to talk about you traveling in an Airstream before we wrap up this podcast. Yeah, Uh, because you told me you've been on this journey since April, and that's amazing. Why are you doing this? And I guess I want to hear about like the tough parts. (laughs) Oh my gosh, absolutely. So it's funny, my parents, they're entrepreneurs as well. And Five years ago, they sold their company, they sold their home, they sold every belonging that they had, and they bought an RV. They've been on the road ever since. They've been on the road for five years, and they just became park rangers, which I think is absolutely adorable. That's so random. Yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, super random. But so I would kind of see this lifestyle that they had. I just thought it was so cool. I was like, oh, one day, you know, I want to do that. Maybe when I retire or this or that. I'm talking about it with my husband. And something that I talk about in the book is like, we sometimes see fulfillment as a destination of like, when this happens, then I'll feel fulfilled. Or once I get enough money, or once I get to this part of my career, then I'll do this. But instead, we should see fulfillment as a choice to how we live our life every day. And if you want something bad enough, like you can figure it Mm. out. You can find a way to make it work. So when we were talking about this Airstream trip, we started to, you know, say, oh, maybe it's time, you know, when we do whenever, I mean, we don't even have kids yet, but when our kids go off to college and then we'll do it then, we're like, oh, well, that's going to be many years down the road. (laughs) So let's let's try to live to our fullest now right? and see if we can find a way to make it work. With my job with speaking and Headbands of Hope, I was on the road all the time anyway. So then I reached out to Airstream and then they loved what we were doing. So we formed a partnership with them. And like little by little, things started to come together. 10 months later, we hit the road and we've been on the road for months now we plan on going for like a year year and a half and we get to just see so many places Mm. around the country but the cool part about traveling in an rv is that 
you can be somewhere different every day, but you still sleep in the same pillow like every night. Right. And that's what I love about it. And are you working in your Airstream or do you just go to like coffee shops or how does that work? Yeah. So I'll work in the Airstream. Airstream has this really cool feature called Airstream Connected where it turns your Airstream into this like Wi-Fi hub. So it's <laughs> cool. cool. It, it, there's really a ton of ways that you can work, you know, on the road now, which is awesome. Wow. Um, so I'll work from the Airstream. I love visiting local coffee shops wherever I go. I also have a WeWork Global Pass, so I'll pop into different WeWork mm. locations. But I feel like that's where the world is heading. You know, my team at Headbands of Hope they all work remote and can work from wherever they are, whether that's on vacation in Hawaii or whether that's in their pajamas, you know, from yeah. the couch. And it's it's just about taking care of yourself where you want to be and and just making it happen. Yeah. No, I love that. And what would you say is the hardest part about, you know, journeying in an Airstream? The hardest part, absolutely, without a doubt, has been community. I, mm. you know, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I, you know, it was one of those things where it's like I, you know, had my friends that I would we'd go work on our ideas together. We'd go for a walk where our dogs would play. And you take advantage of, like, knowing people that you bump into on the corner. And now that we're on the road, you know, we're constantly in motion. And that's hard. It's hard to create community. It's hard to feel settled. Yeah. So I think next year, as we're going to be on the road, instead of being in places for, like, three or four days at a time, mm -hmm. we want to be there for like two, three weeks at a time. So we can really kind of settle in, get to know the community, you know, visit the local businesses and not just constantly right. be in motion because that gets tough. Yeah, I'm sure it can get exhausting. Yeah, yeah, a lot of miles. <laughs> right. Now let's do some rapid fire questions. I do the, this at Oof. the end of every episode. No, they're not hard. <laughs> okay, just, good. Just be yourself. So the first one is, what does your dream life look like? Ooh, dream life looks like... You might be living it now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I would say, you know, this living on the road is awesome, but I think... Eventually, I would love to have a family, and I really want a yard. That sounds okay. weird, but, like, I've never had a yard before yeah. that I could, like, make my own, and I have a dog now, okay. and I would love to get that Aww. dog a furry friend. Oh <laughs> yeah. Your happy furry family. Yeah. What is one book or resource that you recommend to everybody? A book I just read that I seriously got me so jazzed was That'll Never Work. And it's by Mark Randolph. And it comes out in a few weeks or it comes out in September. That'll Never Work? Yeah, That'll Never Work. And it's... What an interesting title. Well, it's so cool because that's what he was told when he had this idea for Netflix. And that's... <gasps> wow. it's, it's the birth story of Netflix. And so... It really is just this like story that shows you that anything is possible and it could be anyone. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. What is one habit that has changed your life? One habit that has changed my life. It sounds weird, but like getting up early. When I started writing the book, I just found I couldn't make the time during the day. I would get mm. distracted. I'd, emails would pop up. So I started getting up at five, which was not something I wanted to do, <laughs> and spending two or three hours writing before really the day began. And just wow. that practice of like getting up, having my own quiet time, and writing every day just really made me feel settled before I opened my inbox or did anything else. Actually, Marie Forleo has a new yeah. book out called Everything is Figure Outable. Yeah. And one of the parts of it is called Create Before You Consume. And so that's a Ooh. habit that I've been trying to do is 
create before I consume and that's helped me a lot. Oh yeah. It sounds so productive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rather than just like, you know, looking at something once you wake up. Cause then you're on everyone else's to-do list and not your own. Yep. Yep. What is the best life or career advice that you've ever gotten? Begin where you are. I think that so much we want to arrive at a certain place or a certain feeling or a certain qualification before we start. But the best place you can ever begin is right where you're standing and you would be amazed when you look at so many success stories you know Sarah Blakely like Jeff Bezos everyone started where they were standing and that might be in their basement or their garage no one had it figured out from the beginning so just just get started totally and the last one is finish the sentence the most amazing part about life is people I love people yeah, it's you have something to learn from everyone. So true. All right, Jess, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Jess underscore Ekstrom. Go to ChasingTheBrightSide.com if you would like to get the book. Oh, we're also doing something fun for you guys. If you want to pre-order the book at ChasingTheBrightSide.com, there's also a form that you guys can fill out there and you can get a free Chasing the Bright Side headband. Yay. And I'll be sure to link that in our show notes. So you guys definitely check that out. Check out the book. Check out Headbands of Hope and Jess Ekstrom. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Go to headbandsofhope.com as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. It was so much fun to talk to you. Yes. You too. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jess Ekstrom. I felt like there were so many golden nuggets of wisdom in that interview, and I just want to share a few key takeaways here. The first point I really liked is that we always see people's highlight reels and people's success and not their failures, but failures happen all the time, like literally all the time, guys. People just don't share them or they don't talk about it. And I love that Jess said that failures are not proof of your worth. Failures are proof of your growth. Basically, it's normal and okay to fail. Failing doesn't mean that you're any less of a person. It doesn't mean that you're less smart or not good enough or anything. It doesn't have anything to do with you or your worth. Failures are a chance for you to learn and grow. The second takeaway is to learn to step up, to feel worthy and deserving of what you're going for. You need to have that confidence and belief in yourself. I kind of inferred this from Jess's career when she was just starting out her business. She didn't feel like she was worthy to negotiate or she felt like people were doing her a favor if they wanted to work with her. And the same thing happens with women in speaking. You know, women have incredible stories to share and yet they don't put their names in the hat. They don't sign up. They don't step up to these opportunities because you don't think that your story is good enough. You don't think that you're ready yet. And whatever it is that's holding you back, know that that you are so worthy even if you don't feel ready. The secret is to learn to be confident and step up even if you don't feel like you're ready because other people out there are doing that too and they are succeeding. The last takeaway I want to share is the fact that optimism is taking responsibility for the fact that you have a choice to make things better. Tough times give you a choice. You either use it as an excuse and shrink down, or you take responsibility and step up and do something about it. You step up to make things better. I think people sometimes don't take optimism as seriously as it deserves. A lot of people see optimism as an idealist point of view or a dreamer that's not 
not grounded in reality, whereas optimism is not all fluff. It's not about living in a false rainbows and butterflies world. It really is about seeing what's real, seeing the tough time that's in front of you, the struggles, but deciding that you believe things can be better. It's deciding that you can make things better. And it's really about taking responsibility for that rather than just giving up and deciding that you can't do anything about it. All right, so that wraps it up for today's episode. Don't forget to check out the new 2020 Artist of Life workbook at shop.lavendaire.com. And I am sending you all so much love. I will talk to you next Sunday. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.